In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Perino. And I'm Casey McLean. And this week, we're going to talk about um, the coronavirus, of course. What else? Then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll give you some updates on Murphy. And, we'll take... and then... State bailout. Oh, yeah, state bailout. Um, <laughs> Good or happen? bad. <laughs> uh, what are people saying about it? Then we're going to talk a little bit. Well, you're going to do a... A great state debate. debate. Yes. And just for the preview for our listeners, we're going to debate the following. So... Number one, most importantly, is there a central jersey? Some may say yes, some may say no. This and is then... definitely the most controversial <laughs> segment we'll probably ever have. And then we'll debate which which region is the best if we include central, if, it, if we agree that it does exist. So we're going to debate which one's the best, whether it's north, south, or central. And then one's got to go, north, south, or central. And I'll give you a little bit of history into how these regions came to fruition and a little breakdown about their going to go into their average income. And maybe that will help our debate on which one's got to go because New Jersey does have a deficit and we might go bankrupt if Mitch McConnell has anything to say. About it. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll talk about uh, William Patterson. So I'll give you a little bit of information on his life, uh, what he did in New Jersey and how he affected uh, the United States um, in its early colonial history and, and really today. So I think today is going to be a, a pretty fun episode. Real banger, uh, as they say. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the coronavirus numbers because that's apparently my job. Yeah, and that's <laughs> top of I, the show. I think people can start to understand that I bring like the pressing news. Yeah, it, it's like not it, like though. we decided it to be this way. It's just kind of it's what How I'm drawn to, I guess. Yeah. So as of today, uh, New Jersey announced uh, 2,887 new cases of coronavirus and 402 new deaths, and that brings the total to 111,188 cases and 6,442 deaths in New Jersey. And by comparison, I think that means New Jersey's death toll is going up and then New York's is going down. And that's something that in Trump's one of his, you know, amazing press, the best press conference, (laughs) the greatest there ever was. He in his slideshow, there was a, a visual of a map of the United States and the hot zones. And New Jersey continued to be red in each stage of the predictable future, whereas New York started to deplete because I don't know why. I don't, obviously, there's no explanation on that chart, but it's something to be aware of that New Jersey is for the foreseeable future. It's not that we're, we might be plateauing at bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> really bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it seems like. For the last couple of weeks, it's been like two to 3,500 like a day. Like every day is new infections. Uh, that's what it seemed like. And um, I was kind of wondering why it was plateauing there. But that might be just where either the maximum the testing. testing, exactly, testing yeah. capacity, or uh, also uh, the lockdown is working. So like people aren't yeah. in as much contact. So hopefully this is just, uh, hopefully we're at this like peak and then it'll start coming down in the following uh, weeks or months. And the danger is the, uh, it was in uh, Cuomo, sorry to keep, citing him, but in his conference today, they called it a attractive nuisance. And the Jersey Shore is exactly that. So people 
from all areas of the country may flock to the Jersey Shore. So it's very important to keep these lockdown measures in place, especially during summer. So I don't know what Murphy plans on doing. I guess we'll get more into that with his plan. But my greatest fear is that if any shore town or tourism location opens up just the slightest, that it's going to cause a really big surge. People will come from all over for that. And I don't know if you saw the pictures from California where people were violating the order and going oh, to the beaches. yes. So I was wondering the same thing. I'm really hoping Murphy has a plan and the, and the municipalities there have, have plans to prevent this from happening uh, here. Because, yeah. oh man, that, that will just cause to have a second wave guaranteed. Um, yeah. I have a little bit more information about coronavirus. So the New Jersey Commissioner for Health said on Saturday, that's we're filming or recording this today on the 28th <laughs> on Tuesday. So that would have been the 25th. Commissioner Judy Persicilli that said. sounds correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we've worked on this, we have flattened the curve, but it has spread it out. And that's exactly what we wanted to do to be able to handle the capacity to particularly our hospitals. So we do expect to be seeing cases through May. I thought that was interesting timeline. It's kind of what I thought too, that this will go on in uh, through May. I, a couple friends that I know were wondering if like we'll reopen by May, but I, I think it's pretty obvious. That's oh no. Due, yeah, that'd be this Friday. So n- no. No, there's a lot of, <laughs> if you look up no. national holidays, like, you know, the random ones where it's like hamburger day, in a few of the, I don't know, the the records that I was finding on Google, a lot of states have made it like a like a unspoken national holiday that they're reopening. And I just keep looking at the all the states that are just lockdowns over, everyone can go back to business. It's just it's wild that May is where people are opening up, and that's it's so dangerous. Agreed. So uh, what's going on over in Murphy's Corner? What has he been doing? Uh... This week. In Murphy's Corner. Okay, so Murphy's Corner, his executive orders, what is he doing with his, his iron fist, just like bringing the hammer down on New Jersey? Since we last recorded, which was uh, after, before the 20th, so it would have to be executive orders 128, 129, 130, 131. So on the 24th, Governor Murphy signed an executive order providing critical short-term support for renters. On the 27th, Governor Murphy, Executive Order 129, it extended retired officer carry permits by period of 90 days until after the ongoing public emergency ends. Are they expecting like to need backup police officers? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, no. they're calling. I mean, if you think about it, people maybe they are just, protesting. Yeah, they just don't. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, you forgot people are <laughs> angry. <laughs> I, I'm inside trying not to get coronavirus, so no, I yeah, haven't been outside <laughs> protesting. There are a lot of people angry and a lot of people protesting, but then also because, and we've talked about this throughout our coronavirus coverage, some people are in home situations that are not safe, and that is leading to people, I just, you see all the horrific stories now of, number one, you have doctors and nurses that are killing themselves, number one. And then you have people who have mental health issues killing their family members. So (sighs) as you're going to be needing nurses and doctors to come out of retirement, you're also going to need officers until this health emergency ends because mental health is not on the forefront of a lot of people's minds usually. But during this kind of a situation, you're confined and you're left to your own, you know, madness in your mind. And it could lead you to do some really awful things. So also, I believe this is about 
Um, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I'm not going to look up the, uh, the, what is it called? The PR thing. The, um, what is it called? Uh, I don't the know press release. Oh, press, press release. release. <laughs> yeah, 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 gotcha. <laughs> okay. So executive order on the 28th. Uh, 130, Governor Murphy signs executive order allowing municipalities to extend grace period for May 1st property tax payments until June 1st. And we talk about property tax all the time on the pad. So as we said before, it is uh, county by county and they could increase, decrease. Even, uh, muni- rent. It even goes municipality by municipality. Oh, it's man. Even, lo- even lower than the county even level. Lower. Times. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's good that he's basically pushing a grace period for it. Yeah. shouldn't but have only to worry one about is, it's yeah tough, you know like yeah. but to each their own governor murphy's doing <laughs> maybe next month he'll do another executive order to follow up this <laughs> just keeps pushing it off let's hope just keep pushing it and then the last one most recent one posted today uh executive order 131 governor murphy signed executive order creating a commission charged with advising the administration on the timing and preparation for new jersey's recovery from the covid19 shutdown so I guess we can probably get more into that later on in Murphy's Corner when we go on to his master plan. But... I just wanted to talk about Executive Order 128 a little bit. So yeah. what it what it does uh, for anyone who this is, short term is a renter. For renters. Yeah, because yeah. we're not getting bailed out by the federal government either <laughs> statewide currently or um, a lot of a lot of people aren't receiving their unemployment checks because New Jersey's unemployment system sucks, even though it's better than most states. And all you got was a, if you're lucky, was a $1,200 check. So if you're having trouble paying rent in the upcoming month, the order allows you to tell your landlord to use the security deposit. And uh, they just have to do it. And they can't ask for you to replenish that security deposit and, until like six months has passed. So you don't have to worry about like getting money together to then, you know, uh, uh, replenish the security deposit. So I thought that was a pretty clever uh, short term way to, to, to yeah. fix still encouraging people obviously to pay their rent if they can but this is a good way to to go about uh, outside of a rent freeze which he doesn't have, the state doesn't have the capacity to do that it's something that's gonna be done on a federal level um so yeah I that was good. and i wonder if they could do it like half you can use your security deposit half this month half next month it'd be interesting to see how landlords are working with their their tenants to you know because everyone wants to collect their money but if there's no money to collect what can you do <laughs> Also, like the open secret is landlords steal security deposits all the time and yes. don't give them back. So, like, if anything, you probably should just use it. Yeah, just for fun. Back. Yeah, because yeah. you're gonna lose at least like half of it because they're gonna say you punched a hole in a wall and they had to repaint yeah. and you ruined their their refrigerator. Yeah, exactly. Gotta pay for those new toilet seats somehow. That's a joke because everyone should know that your landlord is legally obligated to replace your toilet seats ahead of you moving in. Fun, fun little, did you know? <laughs> I actually didn't know that. <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> uh, moving on to Murphy's plan. You know more about this than I do because yeah. I have the hots for Cuomo and he's the only <laughs> one. <laughs> well, M- Murphy's my bae. So yeah. let's talk about, um, no, not really. But um, oh, so, really? <laughs> oh, really? so yesterday Murphy announced um, what he called the road back restoring economic health through public health. Uh, Which is a little ironic because New Jersey roads are infamously bad. (laughs) That's actually a really funny point. So I'm just reading off of the governor's site where he posted it. It's basically a six principle like step. 
to analyzing when they are going to open the state and like let people go back to work. So principle one is demonstrate there's been sustained reductions in new COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. And the way they're going to do that is look at 14-day trend lines showing appreciable and sustained drop in new COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and other metrics reflecting decreasing burden of disease. Hospitals also stepping down from functioning under crisis standards of care. So they're going to look at hospitals, making sure that uh, like what's the load on them. The next principle is expanded testing capacity. And they have a few bullet points here. They want to at least double the current diagnostic testing capacity. Prioritize testing for healthcare workers, essential personnel, and vulnerable populations. Create a flexible testing plan accessible to all residents. Expand partnerships with institutions of higher education, private sector labs, and the federal government. And ensure that those who test positive are linked to a healthcare provider. Principle three is implement robust contact tracing. And uh, that's recruit and deploy an army of personnel who will identify and follow up with contacts. Leverage technological data and innovative solutions to increase efficiency. Coordinate the approach of local and state health officials, which will have a coordinated country regional component. And uh, in case it wasn't clear from the bullet points, contact tracing is when they go and find out like who you've been around. And uh, I read a little bit more into that. And that's basically if you've stood within six feet of somebody for 10 minutes and longer, they'll consider that somebody worth doing a contact trace on. And then they'll ask them to basically quarantine for 14 days and uh, they just follow up, test them. It's it's really the only way you combat a uh, a pandemic is by figuring out where the disease is and then isolating individuals that have it. it. Yeah. Uh, principle four is secure safe places and resources for isolation and quarantine uh, to the greatest extent possible. Provide individuals who do test positive in the future with a safe and free place to isolate and protect others from COVID nineteen. Ensure that quarantined contacts are provided supportive services if needed. Principle five is execute a responsible economic restart. Uh, There's a couple bullet points under this one. Create the governor's restart and recovery commission to advise on the process and recommend responsible and equitable decisions. So I think that is exactly what the last executive order was talking about, right? It was the creation of that commission. Yeah, it was creating a commission charge of advising the administration on the timing and preparation for New Jersey's recovery from the COVID-19 shutdown. Gotcha, exactly. That's this. Def- that's definitely this uh, commission. Uh, then they want to plan for a methodological and strategic return to work based on the level of disease transmission risk and essential classification. Continuation of social distancing measure measurements uh, requires. Uh, sorry, measures requirements for face coverings and work from home directions where feasible and appropriate. Leverage any available federal funds and programs to support healthcare individuals and small business recoveries. And then the last principle is ensure New Jersey's resilience uh, resiliency. Uh, learn from the lessons of COVID-19 and prepare for the possibility of a resurgence. That's really smart because people are expecting that there to be like health professionals, a resurgence of COVID-19, um, say, uh, late in the fall or even next spring. Ensure hospitals, healthcare systems and other health delivery fa- facilities have inventories of personal protective equipment and ventilators. Build our own state personal protective equipment and ventilator stockpile and create a playbook for future administrations for the next pandemic. So I actually really think this is a smart idea because especially when you can contrast how like methodological, systematic and thorough, at least this is on paper, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think he, or if he's overall been doing a decent job with how uh, uh, with limited you know, powers and resources he has to, to, to handle this crisis. We've mentioned some of the criticisms before. I don't, we don't need to go through it again, but... <laughs> 
I mean, just compare this to like most other states, right? Like not the ones near us, like New York or something who, um, I don't know what their plan is, but I'm sure it's like somewhat similar compared to like Georgia, which reopened after a week and, you know, after a couple of weeks and that when they have a huge uh, amount of uh, infections and deaths, they're going to probably close again compared to like a bunch of states, which haven't really closed at all. Uh, most states in the United States still haven't closed or uh, done any kind of lockdowns or social distancing measure, measurements uh, measures at all. So and to be and to be uh, fair to those states, I do want to say it's different for them in that their numbers are low, and yes. you have you know our state in New York, and I think Louisiana is another like hotbed of corona activity, and for them, they're seeing you know only a few cases of corona, and for that, it matches the figures of those thresholds of there's not a. I forgot what is the the infection rate. The infection rate for those states aren't that high. So I don't want to say, you know, shame on them for reopening if they don't have any. But it's that that out of sight, out of mind, like there it will come to you. Yeah. You know? Like Georgia probably shouldn't have reopened after closing only for a week and no. not even really closing. But like, I mean, I don't know this is a fact, but like some of those middle square states <laughs> in, in the center of the country, which might have like five cases. Yeah, it might not make sense to close down like maybe always have smart social distancing measures right it's always a good idea yeah. to uh, in a, at a pandemic no matter where you are to take necessary precautions but completely shut down the economy in those states yeah it probably doesn't make sense you got to do it uh where necessary even in china they didn't do shut down the entire country it was yeah you know, i think it's gonna to have areas. to be yeah. a state-by-state -state judgment but you have to look at those heavy traffic heavy you know international spots where you know if you have a like mardi gras louisiana <laughs> Yeah, or Florida with like nice beaches and stuff like that. Exactly. Or California, were... as we said, yes. mentioned, California people flocking through the beaches. They have a lockdown, and, and yeah, we mentioned it already. But uh, there is common sense out there that is being ignored. <laughs> yeah. So a couple. Of, I just want to try to think through some of the problems in some of this. Is uh, well, I don't, I don't really have any problem with the first principle, which is like you know using 14-day trend lines to try to do it. That's actually a really good timeline. Well, a lot of the stuff we've complained about on this podcast before is people getting really happy at like, say, like a one day reduction in numbers or like yeah. being overly optimistic because like three days in a row we've had like, I don't know, like only 300 deaths or something like that. And then people be like, oh, I guess it's almost over. And it's and, you know, that no. was like early April, <laughs> late March. And, yeah. it's, and it's like, no, you need to have like a long trend. 14 days is a great trend. It fits both with um, statistically it's just a nice amount of time. It's like half a month. And then you all, it's also, uh, you know, the, the the incubation time for like when people will start developing symptoms and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's exactly. great. The hardest part and the, the weakest part of this, and it's not the fault of the governor or let's say in New Jersey, it's the robust contact tracing because you're going to need a ton Testing. of tests. And, and, <laughs> and that's where it's like. And the other part was the uh, getting leveraging mo funny money from the uh, federal government, which we'll talk about after in the next yeah. segment. But, oh, man, like without... Ex it's great that his goal is to double the current diagnostic and testing capacity. I'm glad. I also like the idea that he, he put a number on it, not just like, we want to increase it. Yeah. Right? It's like, no, and we want to double it. It's almost like a race to the finish line, the finish line being a readily available vaccine for, and this is what Bill Gates said that shocked a lot of people. It's like, we're not going to be out of the woods until there's a vaccine that is working and that every single person on the planet has the ability to access it. Yes. That's like the polio. only time we're not going to be in a threat because it takes that one contact to spread this disease. Yeah. And um, 
I like the title of it, as silly as that is, like restoring <laughs> economic health through public health, because I've gotten angry at Murphy before for having bad messaging. But this is actually really good messaging. So I should give him some props where it's at, because the, the narrative right now is that we, we need to open up the economy because we have to sacrifice our public health for the economic health. And what we've yeah. been saying over and over again on here is that, like, no one's going to go to the damn movies and restaurants <laughs> while a pandemic's going on. And like this acknowledges that it's like. Listen, you're not going to restore the economic health of the country or the state unless you actually, you know, increase the public health of the state and make sure like people are safe and they feel safe. And we have like an idea and a handle on this pandemic. So I, I think it's overall great messaging. It's good. Yeah. And um, it's systematic, which is what I what I like about it. Um, I really hope it works. Yeah. I hope it's coordinated with all the other uh, states in our area. And um, yeah, I, I don't have That's much great. more to say. Next up the conversation on a state bailout you know mcconnell's <laughs> you know kentucky i don't even know yes yeah, let's, let's give a couple a little bit of background here so when states are in lockdown like new jersey there the economies of those states collapse as like a lot of people know that doesn't just mean that you don't have a job or and stuff like that but the state itself is also not making enough money through tax revenue and those tax revenues are used for things like paying state workers who a lot of them are essential and also uh, other things like paying unemployment benefits, which are essential in a time when we're supposed to be staying home, collecting unemployment for a lot of people so that we, we don't continue spreading the infection. I don't know if people know this, but apparently we're in phase 3.5 of the recovery. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what? that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so phase one was, I think, the when they gave us money. But the, the, basically the Democrats came up with this term uh, like to pretend that they've like had a plan all along like oh yeah we're in phase one you know that was like giving yeah. everyone 12 you feel $1, more reassured when you hear phase oh phase one <laughs> was like i don't even know and then 3.5 or something I don't, I don't get it but the question now because governors like murphy and others are putting up like hey we need like a state bailout corporations got a bailout uh small businesses got a bailout people didn't really get a bailout but you know we got 1200 bucks yeah, a lot so, of <laughs> Oh. There's a lot of memes going on about how small businesses, you know, the small business loan initiative that they did, they're like, I couldn't get a small business loan for my actual small business, but the Chipotle down the street got their small business yeah. loan. <laughs> oh, did you see all those businesses collecting uh, uh, small business loans and having to exactly. return it back? And yeah. the thing that oh. I think a lot of people don't understand is that those locations are typically franchise locations. Yep. So they're owned by small business owners. but you know, you have the corporate entity hovering over them, you know, making sure they're coming in. When I worked at Subway, we had the corporate person come in and like basically tell us we're disgusting and then <laughs> and then leave. But you do have the requirement that you're up to a certain standard based on your corporate branding structure. But it's it's wild that they're qualifying for it when they're, you know, corporate overlord could easily help them out in the same same way and they're also you know open you know like if you're able to still serve people in your community you shouldn't be taking that loan in my opinion <laughs> no exactly i i agree so mcconnell basically surprise mentioned that he didn't want to bail out any of the states because uh, they don't deserve it and they should just go bankrupt uh, really the blue states is what he's talking about some new jersey i have a clip here from fox news where the uh, the brain trust on there are wrapping their, their heads around this. Uh, let's listen. 
But what uh, Mitch McConnell was just talking about on that uh, radio show, you know, while it may anger the state of New Jersey, the governor here, uh, there are some who say that that is actually a smart thing to do, because if you have another half a trillion dollars in stimulus for a lot of states, you know, if a state were to do what some cities are able to do and declare bankruptcy, they could reduce pensions, uh, bond debt, currently off limits to states. However, some cities can do it. Art Laffer looks at that question about whether the states, and there are a particular number that really need it, need it and why. He talked about it last night on The Story with Martha. When I listen to the discussion of the states, especially Connecticut, especially uh, Illinois, especially New Jersey, these states have been so bad in their fiscal uh, controls that they have run out of money, they're in bad shape, people are leaving the states in droves, and then they want the federal government to bail them out? I don't think so. I mean, this is their problem. I mean, is Illinois, Michigan, uh, uh, New York, uh, Connecticut, New Jersey, these states have had a big problem long before coronavirus came, and coronavirus came along and just popped them mm. and uh, they don't need to be bailed up I, I know you can't uh, uh listeners can't see it but uh do you like how art laughers like lip like curls when he says new jersey he's just like new jersey <laughs> <laughs> absolutely like hates the state to but, be uh, fair to be fair new jersey and some of the states that he's probably mentioned new jersey had a financial issue before this like yeah credit where credit is due New Jersey was real messed up financially for a number of years. And it's not, you know, Murphy's fault because he wasn't in office. And I think that's something that we touched on back when I was reviewing the year of the, the five governors is that you have changes of power when there's an election <laughs> and those changes of power may increase the debt, may decrease the debt, and it might be temporary you know, and the person who inherits all that debt, they have to figure it out and then move from there because they can only do what they can only do in the matter of time that they're in office. So this pandemic hitting, you know, did pop New Jersey. It did. Like, but if the pandemic did not happen, would New Jersey have popped? I would say based on, you know, Murphy's, huh, I don't know. I don't know if it would have popped. Uh, I don't think he's not a, as bad. Not yeah, as bad. Uh, uh, but like, this is what gets me about this, right? We bail out rich people all the all time. All the time. All we don't the think time. <laughs> about $2.5 trillion just getting printed off to them. We don't think about the how we guaranteed another four fucking trillion dollars in uh, federal uh, 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 treasury buying like uh, junk bonds and stuff like that. Unlimited quantitative easing. easing. That, that's never happened before in history. And then we're like, yo, we need to bail out the states, you know, the things people live in. And <laughs> and they're just like, nah, we can't do that. We don't have enough money. What are you talking about? You can make the money printer go brr all fucking day for rich people. It just drives me nuts. I love that meme. It drives me nuts. And it, it pisses me off so much because it's so clearly class warfare. You heard, you heard what the Fox News guy said. Oh, if they declare bankruptcy... They can, you know, wipe out the pensions and all that stuff. That's what this is about. They're trying, it's shock doctrine capitalism. They're trying to take advantage of this crisis and just use it to wage warfare, class warfare on working class people by destroying their pensions, uh, funneling up uh, uh, wealth to the rich and uh, limiting our, like, you know, uh, ability to fight back from either political expression or, or just, you know, 
making it so that we have so much debt and no money that, you know, what can you do? And it's it's also funny because it's not bailing out all the states. It's bailing out states who have been deeply, irreparably, like, damaged <laughs> by this pandemic. And it's just shocking that Mitch McConnell, and I guess we can get into it now, of Kentucky, is a major, major taker state. And there's this really great article by The Atlantic, which states are givers and which states are takers. This is by John Tierney. And this was updated in 2017. So the data is a little bit dated. But what it points out is that there are some states (laughs) that are uh, most dependent based on a composite score. And it's it's comparing all 50 states and the District of Columbia on three metrics. Uh, number one, federal spending per capita compared with every dollar paid in federal income taxes. Number two, the percentage of a state's annual revenue that comes from federal funding. And number three, the number of federal employees per capita. So the third is uh, a measure received only half the weight of each of the others in this calculation. So you see how many states are heavily re- rely on federal funding and Kentucky is up there what this basically says is like states like South Carolina North Dakota Florida Louisiana Alabama surprising Hawaii uh, Mississippi New Mexico Kentucky West Virginia Indiana they're in the the top 10 that's really surprised Kentucky's in the top 10 they're up there which means they year over year basically are not earning enough to take care of their state so they are dependent on their federal money, <laughs> the money that the, the, the government, the U.S. government gives them. Whereas you have at the bottom of the, the chart is our states like Delaware, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska, Ohio, Kansas, New York, Colorado, Utah, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So these states are states that, you know, they are giver states. So they are states that have, you know, a higher number of federal employees, possibly a higher number of um, annual revenue. And they're also, you know, not spending as much federal money because they don't need it. Because, I mean, technically, New Jersey should have been looking out for a bailout a while ago, in my opinion, because of how ridiculous it is. But we're not a taker state. So for us to finally say, okay, global pandemic, you know, once... I don't know, once a century kind of a <laughs> event yeah. uh, was wiping out our existence. So please, you know, after all the time we were, you know, not taking, you know, like, it's I, wild. I just want to say, in, a, in like a functioning society, to be normal and fine. You it, Richer states should pay more to help the poorer states so that way the poorer states can uplift themselves. Right? That's, that's what in a, in a normal society, that would be okay. Yes. But we live in the United States. And these poorer states like South Carolina, Kentucky, and elsewhere, they are run by people who don't actually improve the wealth of their states. They just take federal uh, government money, turn over their entire state to just corporations, and, like, don't even give money. Like, if you're living in those states, you're, like, I complain about the New Jersey unemployment system a lot, right? But we have one of the best ones uh, in the country. country. I complain about our public education system a lot. I mean, I love public teachers, yeah. don't get me wrong. I just say, like, I think it's, on a world scale, it's not that great. We have one of the best public education systems <laughs> in the country. In the country. So, like, New Jersey 
as a state, yeah, we pay a lot in property taxes and, and other state taxes and stuff like that. But at least we, it seems like for the most part, as You're corrupt as it is, it's better. It's better. <laughs> We're actually using it. You live in Kentucky and elsewhere. It's not that great. I mean, like, yeah. I'm not, not the like shit on those states completely. I'm, I'm sure like they're, they're great for other reasons, but like in terms, just in terms of these like statistics that we're talking about, they're not good. They don't use the money to uplift their citizens and and make their you know lives better. So yeah, like it's, it, it absolutely infuriates me that the bail is up. So I'm sure uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi saying all this, right? This is what she said. Uh, uh, she was interviewed <laughs> by Jake Tapper, and he asked her like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And and she said all these points, right? Cuomo says he would have insisted on state funding uh, in the last bill. And now Senator McConnell saying he wants to push the pause button. Uh, Was this a tactical mistake by you and Senator Schumer? Just calm down. We will have state and local, and we will have it in a very significant way. Uh, It's no use going on to what might have been. The administration never even wanted to do. Uh, The governors are impatient. I'm a big fan of Governor Cuomo, my own governor. uh, uh, Gavin Newsom has been so spectacular. My mayor, Mayor Breed, the state and local have done their jobs magnificently. They should be impatient. Their impatience will help us get right. an even bigger number. And that goes for Republican governors, too. Governor Hogan of Maryland has been spectacular in all of this. So it's many governors, right. many mayors, bipartisan for us to get the largest amount. I'm sorry that we had to have an intervention because we were going from CARES 1 to CARES 2. The intervention came. We made the most of it. And so, as I say to members, judge it for what it does. Don't criticize it for what it doesn't because we have a plan. Her uh, MKUltra microchip kind of malfunctioned a little bit when she was trying to... (laughs) Right? When she was just like, uh, couldn't remember the Gavin Newsom's name. (laughs) Couldn't remember why she was speaking. Oh boy! Uh, I, I mean, first of all, how condescending to say calm down. No. Yeah. No, I'm not going to calm down in the middle of a pandemic uh, because state employees in my state might get laid off and lose Who their pensions. She? Because Who she, Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you you can just sit at home and calm down with two refrigerators full of ice cream. Yeah. Uh, normal people can't. Uh, they're they're they want their government to actually work for them. And Nancy Pelosi, she specifically, I remember researching her, but she lives in one of the most uh, high income neighborhoods of San Francisco. Yeah, she is uber, uber, uber wealthy. And that's all who her constituents are. Exactly. So it's I, I love finding politicians who have a very astronomical amount of money in their reserve. And they're saying to the average American, "It'll like, don't worry, like, it's going to be fine. Like, you, you wait, you wait." <laughs> yeah, also, don't criticize Care One and Care Two, meaning the Care X, for what they don't have. Just talk yeah. about what's in it. Are you yeah. kidding me? What the I, hell are you talking about? Of course, we need to criticize. Why would you have a Care Two? Someone who why would you not... ever have a Care Two if we didn't think criticize what wasn't in Care One? Someone who does not want any criticism, yeah. this is enough. This is enough about them. Like, if oh, you can't God. stand by your work and have it critiqued, that's a basic fundamental thing when you're a creator. Like, if anyone goes on Apple News, or not Apple News, Apple iTunes, and wants to critique our podcast, I welcome it. I applaud it. Tell me how Just I'm Just give it bad. a five-star rating. Anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> give us the five star and then give us our suggestions. But you need, in order to create a great product that helps people, that is useful, that lasts the you know test of time, you need to have harsh criticism, constructive criticism to make things better. Nancy Pelosi's been in office for God knows how long, and she can't handle the criticism because it's been this long and she still can't get it right. Like, get yeah. out of office. Like, and make room for someone else. Here's the thing. She she self-labels herself as the master legislator. Besides being so out of touch to, like, call oneself that, where is that master legislator skill that you're giving up leverage by passing CARE 1 and CARE 2 without state bailouts, without like an actually uh, ensuring that there's going to be decent stuff for workers uh, and all that kind of stuff. How does it help to not include those things, but include all the Republican demands? So at some point, I think we have to stop thinking that she's just like a dumb person yeah. who is incompetent and start wondering, like, who is it that she works for? She consistently has exactly. been doing this over a career over and over and over again. Why exactly. is she able to become a political mastermind when it comes to dealing with like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But when it comes to Republicans, it's like she's that Patrick meme nailing a, uh, a, a, a <laughs> yeah, thing into her forehead. Well, that's the it, thing. Like, a lot of people, I think Kamala, founder of Fieldwinds, he pointed out, you know, Democrats and names only, the dinos. She is a hardcore dino. Like, yeah. she, <laughs> you don't stay in office that long because you're you're controversial, you, you're making these moves. You stay in office that long because you really don't care. You're collecting a check. You have no problem being reelected because you have a soft area where you have bought all the votes because you're hanging out with all these rich people and you're a rich person. Too. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Her and Chuck Schumer didn't even originally want to get everybody 1200 because they wanted <laughs> it to be means tested during a pandemic. And then we ended up getting the weird mixed means tested crap that we currently have only once if you got lucky and got it. So <sighs> anyway, yeah, if, if people are going to protest, protest this stuff, guys. Yeah. Uh, th th protest don't protest that. reopening your state. Say like, I shouldn't have to go back to work. The government should be working for me. Give me some fucking yeah. money. And it's money that we all have. And that's another crazy thing. It's like yeah, exactly. unemployment, you know, healthcare. like everyone's paying into the system. Every single thing that you have, whether it's at a state level or a federal, like everything is taxed and you're paying for unemployment insurance with every paycheck. Like you, all that money that's taken out, that was one of the most depressing things when I started working was... I calculated my hours and when I was, you know, making sandwiches at Subway and I thought I would have this big check, a Trump check. Um, and it wasn't. It was like slashed in nearly in half because of all the taxes that were taken out. But at the time and up until now, I'm thinking, OK, great. Like everything was in the pot so that in case of an emergency, a.k.a. a global pandemic that is sweeping the nation, everyone will be okay. Not just me, because insurance is everyone pays a rate. And in the event that your stuff is like blown up, you know, you can take from that pile that everyone's paid into. It's insane. It's insane. But year over year, you can if you're in Congress, you can increase your your paycheck because everyone said so. Like, so ridiculous. Not to mention you get that nice paycheck when you quit or you know <laughs> resign and uh you get hired at like a think tank yeah or, um, you're suddenly door. yeah or you're suddenly like a speaker for lockheed martin not because yes. you know you actually have anything interesting to say it's they're paying yeah. you like two hundred thousand dollars a speech because 
it's like say what rewarding they you for, say. yeah they're rewarding you for your previous service that's how it works people but they yeah. you really think these politicians like these politicians we listen to all the time who are dumb as shit do you think that they're telling like engineers and businessmen like amazing things that blow their mind <laughs> anyway so uh, on to the great debate oh the great debate everyone hold on to your hats we're gonna get into a really great debate right now the great state debate so three points and before we argue them i'm gonna give everyone a little little history trip back down new jersey memory lane for each region so the debate so you know we're gonna argue these things so keep them in the back of your mind when I'm telling you about these regions. So we're going to argue, is there Central Jersey? And I'm going to give you the information about Central Jersey, and then you could decide, yay or nay. Like, <laughs> and then we're going to argue which one's the best, North, Central, or South. And then we're going to say, one's got to go, North, South, or Central. So starting at the top, North Jersey, what is it? Who is there? So North Jersey... The counties included in this, you know, region include Bergen, Union, Essex, Hudson, Morris, Passaic, Sussex, and Warren. So other major cities that people might know from the top of their head just hearing it in this region are Newark, Jersey City, Elizabeth, Patterson, which will tie into your uh, segment, Mike, <laughs> Clifton, and Bayonne. So just a little fun fact, I did a Google search on the average household income for North Jersey and the average for all those counties is about 84,000. So you have the highest being Morris County and Bergen County at respectively 112 and 100,000 for their they're, average income. They're probably also the more expensive regions of the state to live in too. Yes, yes. And so average, if you guys skip math class, is the, <laughs> <laughs> the sum of all divided by the number of them. And so having a 84K as your average means that, you know, we're 100. Your average might be, you know, millions versus just 100. So averages get skewed all the time. So the history of North Jersey. So and I got this information from Wikipedia. So burn me. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so North Jersey is the site of some of the earlier European settlements in the country. So Henry Hudson, uh, a man who was British, uh, and a sea explorer and navigation fame, he sailed through Newark Bay in 1609. And even though he was British, he worked for the Netherlands. And he claimed the land for the Dutch under the name New Netherland. So the original settlements were in Bergen. And this area is where today's Hudson County sits. So fun fact. The richly historic North Jersey being a strategic location due to its close proximity to New York City and the Continental Congress in Philadelphia... Nearly every village and town in this region was a home for the Continental Army. So you also have uh, Patterson. Well, it's where the Great Industrial Revolution started. So the Great Falls was an area that was cultivated for natural power. So Thomas Edison, he installed one of the first hydroelectric power plants. And this hydroelectric power plant still provides electricity today. And in West Orange, Edison created his the first technical research and development facility um, which was called the Invention Factory. <laughs> it's like the Cheesecake Factory, but for yeah. inventions. <laughs> exactly. So that's, 
you know, North Jersey history wrapped up with a with a tight bow. So Central Jersey is more of a colloquial region, and that's why it's up for debate whether or not it exists. And arguably, Central Jersey consists of Middlesex, Monmouth, Mercer, Somerset, Hunterdon, Union, and parts of Ocean County. And we'll get more in Ocean County in South Jersey. And major cities in considered in Central Jersey, if it exists, who knows, uh, <laughs> include Elizabeth, Edison, Old Bridge, New Brunswick, Plainfield, and Franklin. So the history of Central Jersey, it was, and still is, obviously, New Jersey's position between the major cities of New York City and Philadelphia. And this led to Ben Franklin calling the state a uh, barrel tapped at both ends. So having the that central... Is, that is so accurate. It's true. <laughs> He's not Ben Franklin for nothing. So, uh, having the central location, aptly named Central New Jersey, is a halfway point for commuters um, to either metropolitan area. So you'll have people who work in Philadelphia, live in Central New Jersey, work in New York, live in Central Jersey, because also New Jersey, the transit state, you have a lot of places to pick up and be dropped off, whether it's park and ride, as we covered with New Jersey Transit a few episodes ago. You have people who are doing park and ride for the buses, for the trains, and you also have um, different kind of carpooling situations in New Jersey. So good to know for either if you want to work in Philadelphia or New York, think about this, you know, mysterious mythological Central Jersey location. Uh, <laughs> um, Raritan Landing across from New Brunswick and located in present days, Piscataway was vital during the colonial age because of its ports. So the location became a commercial hub for the region. And additionally, two of the nine colonial colleges founded before the American Revolution are located in this region. So you have the College of New Jersey, now Princeton University, and Queens College, now Rutgers University. And that brings me to the last region of New Jersey, South Jersey. So South Jersey consists of Atlantic County, Burlington, Camden, Cape May, Cumberland, I'm going to mispronounce Gloucester. Gloucester? Gloucester. Is it it Gloucester? (laughs) Maybe it's Gloucester. (laughs) Or is that the one in PA? I forget. Who knows? It's Um, South Jersey. Who cares? I'm (laughs) I'm in South Jersey. Uh, uh, So that one, Salem and Ocean, parts of Ocean. And notable cities in this area include Camden, of course, Atlantic City, Cherry Hill, Egg Harbor, Galloway, Salem, and Mount Holly. So... In a 2015 New Jersey... Wait, Trent, doc- does Trenton... Uh, sorry, Trenton's uh, central, Trent, right? Who knows? <laughs> That's part of the great so, Trenton's anniversary. But that brings me to the point. So in a 2015 poll, NewJersey.com polled 90,000 to identify the communities North, Central, and South Jersey. So the Ocean County communities of Barnegat Township, Eagleswood, Lacey, Little Lake Harbor, Long Beach Island, Ocean Township... Stafford Township and Tuckerton were all voted south. And That's then the fair. ocean. It's fair. It's fair. It's I'm not gonna... in, incontroversible. They're, they're, they're <laughs> pretty much the, some of the southernmost parts of the state. Exactly. And the Ocean County communities north of Lacey Township were considered to be a part of Central. Uh, the northernmost parts of Burlington County were also voted part of, and Burlington being um, South Jersey. So they were also voted as a part of Central. So. The history of South Jersey, which is something I know, I don't want to, I more like if you go to school in South Jersey, you learn all about the Native American heritage 
And I remember going <laughs> when I was probably in middle school or even elementary school, going to the colonial grave sites and doing like the, the etchings, like with the paper on the graves. And we learned all about colonial history. So it was beaten into my head. And I never thought that that should be an appropriate field trip for anyone, just hanging out in a graveyard. But, you know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> so... And it was great because you had uh, these colonial grave sites that were also, they stopped digging their graves because they would stumble upon Native American burial grounds. So there are patches of like marked off because they built like the land and they estimated they needed this much capacity for their cemetery based on, I guess, their population. I'm not a cemetery maker, uh, you know, who knows, but they started, you know, making their rows and making their rows as people died because of colonial times. And they dug up this whole aerial ground and then they had to like mark that area off <laughs> to say we can't, you know, rebury, repurpose this land because, you know, it's wild. So the history, there were Native American tribes, the Lenape, which was the um, first. Is it, it Lenape or Lenape? I. Okay, never mind. It doesn't. We're white. We're... We don't know. <laughs> we're doing our best. We're doing our best. If you know the correct pronunciation, please Tweet give us a five star iTunes review and let us know. <laughs> it, it can be four star if we get the pronunciation wrong. Yeah. And just explain why. Explain why. And then. Come on our podcast because we would love to have you. It is what it is. So the tribe, this is all Wikipedia too. So um, if I'm wrong, it's Wikipedia. Please don't stone me. So the tribe spoke the first dialects of the, I'm going to mispronounce this, uh, Unami language. So it's U-N-A-M-I. Please don't judge me. Um, by the 1700s, nearly 70% of the population of West Jersey, so there's this thing called the Keith Line. He was like a land surveyor or something, and it divided East and West Jersey. What the? Yeah, so, and I think this is because it's dividing the the passage, the, the Raritan River and the Delaware River. So you have like half of the state be port-centric, where you have the other half of the state agricultural based you know seaport based you know what i mean because yeah. uh, like i said earlier piscataway you had became a major port city so having the keith line kind of divided that but nearly 70 percent of the population of west jersey were quakers of english or irish origin so just fyi for people who don't know about quakers they believed in and still believe in uh, peace equality and integrity and their beliefs are said to have heavily influenced early new jersey and um, they were some of the earliest abolitionists of slavery yes too. yeah quakers have an amazing history with early uh colonial times they're, they're pretty yeah. great so and that brings me to a later point but south jersey was a majorly anti-slavery region because of the Quaker population and also their low demand for labor. So you have North Jersey, who is heavily in favor, which is very odd because it's North and South and it was reversed, you know, um, of Union versus Confederate. And the North was very heavily reliant on slave labor. And South Jersey, for whatever reason, they just didn't need that much of a labor forced labor supply. And the Quakers didn't believe in that. Um, <laughs> so other Quaker the, fun fact: they uh, they call themselves the Society of Friends. Oh, I just I just think that's Quakers. cool. You know, rich rich New Jersey history that we overlook every day. And just for a note, the east side of New Jersey had high populations of Scottish and Dutch settlers. 
And during the Revolutionary War, there was a little tension because the Quakers were opposed to the whole war because they were pacifists. And um, this was during a time where the British was heavily being fought by American militiamen. And so you, from what I recall of my Revolutionary War education, you had these militias that would were just ordinary people, um, as What's-His-Face John Legend says. Um, they're ordinary people, and they just banded together to fight off the Redcoats. And that was another thing, my, uh, my education. We always were brought to Revolutionary War sites. And I actually had to, we had a debate in a history class where you were either um, loyalists and... Loyalists versus patriots. I, yes. I, I'm actually going to get into that a little bit. In oh, my good. Um, but I was always, I didn't, it just was a random draw, but I was put as a loyalist. So I was actually arguing in favor of colonial, British colonial rule. But so we had to go to the colonial sites and all the Revolutionary War sites. And we had to learn about like the, the Battle of Bacon, Bacon's Rebellion. That's what his name. He was a, a militia man who. Yeah, the Bacon's Rebellion the, was like uh, in the 1600s, an armed rebellion that took place by Virginia settlers led by Nathaniel Bacon against the rule of Governor William Berkeley. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting part of revolutionary, revolutionary history. <laughs> It really is. But, People should check it out. Everyone should check it out. But it's it's interesting because you have this large population of Quakers and to fight off the, the British, you're relying on your like your population to band together and fight. So that's like a majority of the population was Quaker. So you have the, the Dutch and the Irish having to band together, but basically by themselves to fight off the, the British, which I feel like is no, no problem for them because I think the Irish particularly hated <laughs> the British, but it was a interesting, you know, thing to research. But the other, you know, notable things about South Jersey include, it's obviously very rich in agriculture and agriculture history, but also the Jersey Devil in the Pine Barrens, also the Pine Barrens, uh, <laughs> notable fun things. Maybe I'll do a segment one day on the Jersey Devil, because why not? We should, um, do, this... one, we should do one on the whole, like, interesting geographical features in New Jersey, because, yeah. like, Pine Barrens is pretty interesting. We have mountains. We have the Jersey Shore. Yeah. Anyway. We have everything. Ahead. So this brings me to the Great State Debate number one. Is there Central Jersey? I say yes, and I have two reasons. <laughs> Anything that is a whole can be divided into three parts, a top, a center, and a bottom, or a north, a central, and a south. The second reason is, <laughs> on March 25th, 2020, Governor Murphy tweeted, We've also identified three locations where temporary hospitals can be stood up, Ooh. one in each of our regions of our state, north, central, Ooh. and south. Mic drop. Mic drop. So Murphy, Murphy put an end to that debate. <laughs> yeah. Does he have the governor authority to do that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I think the debate still goes on either way. But no, seriously, though, New Jersey has three regions because of the you can tell from the historical aspect of it. A exactly. lot of people who live in North Jersey, and I think there's pretty much no doubt, except for maybe from pe some people in Bergen, that North <laughs> Jersey includes all those counties you mentioned, like the, the upper like five most counties, yeah. right? A lot of people think just anything south of that is South Jersey who lives up in North Jersey. But exactly. there is there is cultural differences. Oh, um, I also because I of forgot, like work and stuff like that. Because of work. But I also forgot to list the the average income for South and Central. So oh, yeah. South Jersey, the average income is around sixty seven thousand. So you have and I a think steep drop. 
a steep drop, but I also think it's because in North Jersey, you have a lot of heavy influence from New York and New York City in particular. So a lot of people will live in New Jersey and have millions like a, what is the guy from uh, Stephen Colbert and um, John Stewart? They both live in New Jersey. So you, uh, those are just notable people. There's obviously multi-millionaire, billionaire people that also live there. But, you know, first people that came to mind that <laughs> I would have thought lived in New York because of their, their work. But then also central New Jersey's average household income is 91000 So it out-averages North Jersey and, and South Jersey. And Central Jersey, because of its aptly named central location, you have the commutable distance. And you also have a lot of counties that have, I, I don't want to say farmland, but you can get a lot of property for the, if you have a lot of money, for the dollar, you know. And it's going to yeah. be a lot more property and a lot nicer housing than it, you would do in North Jersey for those prices. In South Jersey, it's really hard to commute anywhere um, as, unless you're just doing a everyone, short house. As everyone knows, uh, New Jersey is one of the most, I think it is the most densely populated state in the country. And of the population density of New Jersey, like the regions for the most densely populated of the most densely populated state, North Jersey easily has it. It's the most densely populated. And yeah. as you go further and further south, it's less and less populated. So I, I think it's, New Jersey's kind of cool in that sense, because it's not like... Your bias is showing me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But it's, but it's not like you just live, you don't just live in, in an area that's like in the middle of nowhere, but you also don't necessarily just live in an area that's uh, uh, completely urban. Yeah. Uh, you live in a state that has both a areas. And, you know, most states have a small urban uh, yeah. area with, with, you know, suburbs and stuff like that. But New Jersey takes it to the extreme. It has like, a lot of urban areas. The majority of the state can probably be classified as some form of suburb. To yeah. sub and then and the great southern part of the state has, like, actual agriculture and, like, the Pine Barrens and stuff. And then, yeah. of course, I think if we want to talk about New Jersey, actually be four parts. Like, the Jersey Shore is, like, its own thing. It's really, like, not the same as the rest of the state because it's more, its entire industry is different. It's based off of tourism. It's yeah. not really, like... I think that could we could do a segment on, like, the economic breakdown of the, the state, you know, which state, which part of the states are heavily reliant on tourism or which ones are heavily reliant on agriculture and which ones yeah. are, you know, so on and so forth. But that leads me to the next part of the debate, which is the best, north, south, or central? You first. I want, I want to say if it does exist, it would be central simply because it makes it easier for travel-wise. If you want to go somewhere in North Jersey, you want to go somewhere in South Jersey, you want to go to the Jersey Shore, it's a lot. I remember living in South Jersey, and I lived near LBI, and having to come all the way up to even just central New Jersey, or if I were even to go, want to even go into New York City, that's a whole trip. <laughs> that is a very long drive, and it's a whole trip. And I remember never wanting, not never wanting to leave, but it's like I need, I would need a car if I was in, in South Jersey. And then I would also need to drive forever to get to some kind of place where I can park my car and then take a train into the city or drive for five hours straight to get to Philadelphia. Like, yeah, from that that's aspect, just my opinion. I, I guess my bias is showing because uh, I would say Central Jersey and I would say I live in Central Jersey, but I, I probably actually yeah, technically same. live in South Jersey. Um, I'm in Burlington County, but I'm like, it's basically at the bend. Well, Burling, Burlington... 
I think it's one of those that if it's if it's the northern part of it, it could be considered central. Now, let me explain why I would vote <laughs> uh, North Jersey to leave. Because it's they just want to be part of New York anyway, right? Like, they a lot, do. I feel like a lot of people, they North Jerseyers, if you're listening, don't deny it. Don't you, you desperately <laughs> want to be a part of New York. So just go. Just go. No, just leave. We want we want you here too, sort of. Yeah, we need your tax. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, then we're going to be the we're the leeching part of the states, just like yeah. on a scale. Yeah. But yeah, I would. Oh, I only say North Jersey because South Jersey. I enjoy the Jersey Shore. I enjoy the colonial history in that. I feel like a lot of North Jersey areas they have either demolished their history or they have like built around it so that it's no longer a focal point. And South Jersey really appreciates their their rich history. You know what I mean? They it was beaten into us in school what what exactly New Jersey did and how they did it from the the founding of the the country onward. You know, we were brought to all the sites. We had to you know, walk the trails that everyone else did, the militiamen and so on and so forth. Even, you know, the during the Civil War, we did Civil War. Like, it's such a historically rich part of the state and they've really honored it, you know. And because of that, North Jersey needs to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, I think the debate has been settled. It's been settled. Goodbye, North Jersey. <laughs> so, Mike, tell me all about William Patterson. Not the university, but the man, the myth, the legend. And so that's actually pretty much how I uh, got into it. I was like, thinking to myself, well, you know, there's William Patterson. There's Patterson <laughs> the city. It's got to be the same person. Like, is it, is it he, connected? What did he do? And I vaguely remember there being a William Patterson history. So I was like, let me, let me look it up. And I was actually pretty surprised to find that William Patterson was really one of the key figures in the early colonial power struggles in the United States. And he was a key figure, not just in New Jersey history, but in shaping the history of the United States as a whole. So William Patterson was born December 24th, 1745 in Ireland. He emigrated to the American colonies with his family in 1747. Later, he would go on to study law under Richard Stockton at the College of New Jersey, which, as we say, was now, which is now called Princeton University. In 1763, he gave a commencement address to his graduating class in which he extolled the virtues of patriotism and referenced the values of various Enlightenment philosophers he had studied. Patterson quickly rose through the legal and political ranks. After the French and Indian War, the British Parliament tried to tax the American colonies more, basically saying, hey, like, we protected you. Now it's time for you to pay. More money. And, yeah, and William Patterson became one of the key leaders of the so-called Patriot Calls in New Jersey. He represented Somerset County as the Secretary of New Jersey's Provincial Congress. This was an extra-legal legislature established by the Patriots to organize the transition from royal colony to independent state. And for a year, he held a seat in the state Senate. He was also a member of the Legislative Council and a member on the Council of Safety, which was a body that developed and managed New Jersey's military forces for the war. By 1776, he became the Attorney General of New Jersey. Oh, uh, wow. Was he yeah. one, of the, one of the first? I don't know. I, I don't know that, but he's one of the <laughs> most. I don't know because I'm not sure how many in our colonial yeah. history there was before that. Uh, he was definitely one of the first as, as like as an independent state. state. Right. But he would become key to just how New Jersey is completely shaped. And it's and his law aspect of that is really important. It's interesting. So in 1787, as we all know, like leaders throughout the colonies called for a constitutional convention to reform the Articles of Confederation, 
Now, just to, re to refresh some of you, the Articles of Confederation was the legal basis of government in the United States since its ratification on March 1st, 1781. Basically, uh, when the colonies rebelled, they were like, shit, we need it. We need like to coordinate. We need like actual government. So they formed the Articles of Confederation, and that took so long to ratify that it wasn't ratified until 1781. Uh, part of the reasons was because of the war made communication between the states difficult, and another uh, reason was just the politics of it all. So one of the key problems of the Article of Confederation was that the central government was extremely weak. Congress was given the authority to make treaties and alliances, to maintain armed forces and coin money, but the central government like lacked the ability to actually levy taxes and regulate commerce. And it was these latter two issues uh, that especially became uh, central to the Constitutional Convention of 1787 and the kind of government they wanted to set up thereafter. So William Patterson, because of his like prestige of joining the uh, um, uh, Provincial Congress and also being Attorney General and all that stuff, he uh, leaded the New Jersey delegation to the Constitutional Convention. And it was there that he was extremely influential. Commenting on the his influence during the proceedings, the Georgian delegate William Pierce noted that Patterson was quote, one of those kinds of men whose powers break in upon you and create wonder and astonishment. He is a man of great modesty whose looks bespeak talent of no great extent, but he is a classic and a lawyer and an orator and of a disposition so favorable to his advancement that everyone seemed ready to exalt him with their praises, end quote. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what did Patterson do, Patterson do there? He co-authored what is famously called the New Jersey Plan or the Patterson Plan. So Patterson plan asserted the rights of small states against those of larger states like Virginia, which at the time was one of the most populous states in, in the colonies. He proposed the creation of a unicameral legislature, which would give equal representation to each state. So one vote for each state. This so this proposal... is basically the foundation of what we have today. So you have the Senate and then the House of Representatives, Senate being you know, two representatives of each state and the House of Representatives being representative of the population. Exactly. So uh, uh, he wanted actually just one house, which was going to be like a Senate-like thing, but everyone gets one vote for each state. And that's in contrast to what the Virginia plan was that was proposed by Edmund Randolph, which was to give proportional representation based off of population. So Patterson's proposal actually had nine parts. The first was that the Articles of Confederation should be amended. Now, that sounds like strange. Like, why is that part of it? But you have to remember, the early Constitutional Convention was to amend the Articles of Confederation. But once a lot of them got there, they're like, no, we should just get rid of it. Like, start over. And in the beginning, that, that was a, think about it, that's a huge question. It was like, what, what do you do? Do we just completely scrap the whole thing and start from new? But And then some people were wondering, do we have the legal authority to even do that? Because <laughs> we're, we came here under the pretense of amending something, not just completely starting it over. So yeah. he was one of those that argued that, no, it should be amended and not... Uh, Destroyed. Uh, not completely uh, removed, yeah. The second thing was, in addition to the existing powers under all of the Articles of Confederation, Congress was to gain, to gain the authority to raise funds via tariffs and other measures and to regulate interstate commerce and commerce with other nations. So basically, he was like, all right, we'll just make Congress more powerful in the, in the Articles of Confederation. We don't need to start over. And the third thing was Congress has the authority to collect taxes from states based on the number of free inhabitants and three-fifths of the slaves in that state. However, the power requires the consent of some proportion of the states. So that's interesting because you'll see a three-fifths thing come back. <laughs> as long yeah. as the three-fifths uh, <laughs> compromise. But uh, uh, he was already kind of articulating in some sense of what that should be. Next thing he wanted was Congress elects a federal executive consists of multiple people who cannot be reelected 
and can be recalled by Congress when requested by the majority of executives of the state. That's an interesting one, because if you think about it, he wants Congress to elect a federal exec- executive, mm-hmm. not the people. So that's yeah. actually more of a parliamentary system as opposed to kind of the, the separate republic system that we have here. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So and it's almost th- kind of like not to I know there were like all these different other political parties that came before the Democrats and the Republicans. But if you think about like the primaries, it's kind of like that of like they choose who's, who they're going to throw up and then they go head to head because there's no third party established. And it's you know, with the the delegates and the super delegates, like who knows what kind of, you know, misfit decided all that was going to be a part of it to elect a person to be the president of the United States, not just the president of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. So to have that... Go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just going to say to have that back in the day still be a part of the conversation of having your elected officials really pick your, essentially your elected, like leader, like the president. It's very strange. Also, just imagine how kind of crappy it would be today if you think about it. I'm going to get into this a little later, but if you had his way of electing the president, so if he would just have one Congress member per state, right? That's yeah. it. Just one house. So today there would be, assuming like otherwise all of U.S. history went the same, right? <laughs> then there would just be 50 states. Uh, so 50 people would elect the president yeah. as the executive. Now, surely the executive in his view isn't as powerful as our current executive, but like Still, it's an interesting and, and thing. And how would elections look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're not running for office of the people. You're running for office of the elected officials. Yeah, like in some parliamentary systems, I would argue they're sometimes more democratic because people vote for, like, say, the party, what they want. And then the party will put out a uh, a candidate that has a platform that they're basically bound to. So, like, you know, we have Democratic and Republican platforms in the United States, but they are, they're meaningless. Like, it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> they don't mean anything. <laughs> Everyone knows that. No one cares or even knows what the platform says. So uh, anyway, the uh, sixth thing was the Articles of Confederation and Treaties, or the Supreme Law of the Land, um, which was actually an early representation of the debates of the Supremacy Clause in our Constitution, which says the same thing, that the uh, Constitution and treaties are the Supreme Law of the Land. Federal executive is authorized to use force to compel noncompliant states to observe the law, which is funny because that was in question for like a lot of about the Articles of Confederation, like should the federal government be able to compel states and then famously, we had the old, uh, uh, it later developing on, was it was called the um, uh, nullification, uh, right of nullification, which was like, you know, states have the right to nullify the laws of the federal government. And there was a whole question of whether or not they do have that, with famously the North being like, no, and the South being like, let's succeed, we totally do. And then <laughs> we know which side won that one. So seventh was a, a policy of admission for new states should be established. Uh, eighth was a singular policy for naturalization should be established. Basically, you shouldn't differ from, you know, New Jersey shouldn't have different rules for being a citizen than than Pennsylvania. Yeah. A citizen of one state can be prosecuted under laws of another state in which a co- crime was committed. So basically, you no, know, there should be extradition between the states. So that was, uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I, there was interesting criticism of it that I really liked, actually, by James Madison and Alexander Hamilton. People, two people I actually don't really like, but... Um, <laughs> I th- thought they had a fair criticism here. So they were in favor of the Virginia plan and the uh, leaders of the proportional representation group. And Madison argued that basically, so a little background, Patterson was believing that the whole Virginia plan was a, actually, let me go on the Virginia plan real quick. Sorry. The re- Edmund Randolph's Virginia plan, by contrast, basically looked like this. It was going to have a bicameral legislator, legislature, kind of like what we have today, with term limits and the principle of recall applying only to the lower house. Oh, Each state. Limits. Yep. Each state would be would be represented in proportion to their population. 
uh, Randolph's plan also called for a national government of three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. Members of one of the two legislative chambers would be electing the, elected by the people. Members of that chamber would then elect the second chamber from nominations submitted by state legislatures, and the executive would be chosen by the legislative branch. So Patterson thought that was terrible, and he was like, this is a conspiracy by the larger states to um, have more. Yeah, have more say than the, than, than the small states. Actually, that's kind of how you learn it, at least in New Jersey. That's how I learned yeah. what the Virginia plan was, that it was like, oh, this, the big states trying to get power. And then Madison and Hamilton were like, that, that there could be a conspiracy of large states against the small states was unrealistic as large states were so different from each other. Like you're talking about Virginia, which had a radically different thing than like New York or or um, South Carolina and North Carolina and stuff like that. Hamilton argued also that, and I think this is the best explanation, that states are artificial entities made up of individuals and he accused representatives of small states of wanting power, not liberty. And I think that's actually pretty good uh, mm. criticism because what is a state? We, yeah. I mean, we're, we had a segment <laughs> where we just talked about we couldn't even decide the agreements of what central, well, we yeah. did, but a lot of people central <laughs> north, inside one state. But like, does it, like the only reason why there we understand the borders between Pennsylvania and New Jersey is because those are like legally Hard. enforceable things. Yeah. If suddenly like North Jersey actually did succeed and became its own thing, we would all know where North Jersey and like South Jersey were. Exactly. <laughs> so. So and yeah, you'd be, it, it, you'd be North South Jersey and South South Jersey. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So William Patterson was really a strong defender of states' rights, and he commented on proposals favored by the large states, noting that, quote, the idea of a national government as contradistinguished from a federal one never entered into the mind of any of them, and to the uh, meaning the people, and to the public mind we must accommodate ourselves. We have no power to go beyond the federal scheme. And if we had the power, people are not ripe for any other. Uh, if we had, the people were not ripe for any other. So the deadlock in the convention was like going on forever. And people were basically like, oh, my God, when will these two proposals just end? And the famous Connecticut Compromise came in when Roger Sherman and Oliver Ellsworth, both delegates from Connecticut, proposed a plan that basically merged New Jersey and Virginia plans. And with some modifications, the Connecticut Compromise is basically what we have today. That's the Constitution wow. that we have. So after that, that, I mean, that's pretty big all alone. <laughs> But he actually went on to go do a couple more things, which is wild. After the Constitutional Convention, he would go on to be one of New Jersey's first U.S. senators. He was a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he was crucial in drafting the Judiciary Act of 1789, which basically established the court systems we have today. So I, I don't know if, if listeners haven't read the Constitution, you should. But, uh, but if you notice, it's very strange. It lays out what the executive branch is, uh, what it looks like, what the legislative branch is, what it looks like. And then it goes to this, uh, gets to the judiciary branch. It's like, oh, there's a Supreme Court and it has the, you know, they're, they're, they're courts. And it doesn't really, that's it. And, and, and then, you know, imagine you're, you're a lawyer or a judge and you're looking at the Constitution for a new country and you're like, um, so like, what does this look like? And that's pretty much what they had to do was that yeah. they're like, oh, crap. Yeah, we screwed up. The Judiciary Act of 1789 basically set up the court systems that we have today. And he was instrumental in actually writing that which I thought was, I didn't know that. That's crazy. And he also has the last thing was, uh, this is really weird because he's one of the only people this has ever happened to. William Patterson has the strange honor of being nominated twice to the Supreme Court. So President George Washington first nominated him on February 27, 1793. And the following day, Washington withdrew the nomination because he like realized that since Patterson was still a senator, his nomination was technically violated the ineligibility clause of the Constitution because he can't serve two, two, two offices at once. Yeah. yeah, so he was like, 
Oh, okay. So they just waited four days uh, when his like term was up, and then he not the uh, he nominated him again, and then he was made an associate justice of the Supreme Court, and he stayed that uh, in that position until his death on September 9th, eighteen oh six. Wow. So I think Patterson's so an interesting guy. He's he's made his job up as he like went along. You know what I mean? Like he he was there when the Senate was basically made, and then he became the state senator. And then he helped make the you know judicial system what it is, and then he became a Supreme Court judge. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're actually right. He literally was like just making up jobs as he went along. Yeah. Yeah, he joined like a patriot group, and then became part of the government, like pseudo government thing they had that controlled the army. So you're like, you're right. It, it just that's kind of like his whole career is. <laughs> but that's um, it's interesting. Opportunistic. Huge, <laughs> a little bit, but he had the, he, he had a huge effect on not just New Jersey, but the how country. the entire country. Uh, worked and i just think it's interesting because i don't think it's totally positive it's really interesting like i, I know we we in the united states we love the constitution and it's perfect but um <laughs> like his additions weren't that great like i don't think the senate was a great idea um i kind of yeah. think it's not great like it doesn't make sense why we give say to land it yeah doesn't mean anything i'm right at madison's right they're they're for hamilton's right they're artificial entities made up of individuals they're not really and it kind of backfired now. New Jersey at the time was not very populous, so it wasn't a large state. New Jersey is a uh, popular state now. Large state now, and it has like no say on the national stage in terms of its uh, uh, Senate powers. Because I mean, I know they're all equal, but, it, but you really or you're really more <laughs> equal than than some others when when you have like no population but the same yeah, amount. Yeah, we have Menendez and Booker, you know, who I don't trust. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> well, to, uh, for my welfare. But also, interesting, no term limits. I know George Washington, when he became president, he was he, I might be wrong, mistaken, whatever, but I believe in my memory loosely that he was the one who said, I'll be president, but there's a limit and it's going to be two, two, yeah, two terms he, of four he years. Basically, he basically, well, it was always four years, but then yeah. he noped out after the second term and then people were like, well, if he did it, am I better than Washington? So like nobody wanted to do that. Until you get to FDR, who I think, yeah, you know, not without criticism, but he he was our best president. And then he's just like, you know, his policies are so popular, he gets elected like four times. And then afterwards, <laughs> like, whoa, 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 we need term limits. This is so much, yeah. <laughs> but we can talk about that all the time, but like, damn. Yeah, term uh, limits, because it's, it's, I am very, it's a yes and no, I think that there should be term limits. Yes, and that there should be a max. Like, you shouldn't be able to spend your whole life in the Senate or the House. Like, you just shouldn't. And if you are, then it just, like we said before, it gives you the opportunity to be bought and to no longer represent your constituents and to just, you know, you know, favor big pharma or, <laughs> or big agriculture or big, you know, whatever. So it's interesting that that was a conversation in the, the founding of the country and the founding of the, the Congress and represent, representation for the states. And now it's, it's kind of become like something that no one talks about except for people who are being voted out anyway. <laughs> like I yeah. think, uh, or like Rand, people Rand run Paul? on it too. People will run on term limits, then get in and then not put them in. Yeah. Which uh, I'm not. I, I'm actually not a fan of term limits. I think we should. It'd be interesting to have a great debate on this about like should there be term limits in New Jersey or at the federal government level? We should yeah. do a, a segment on that sometime. Yeah, in the future, I'm down for it. Well, that that about wraps up our show today. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, hope everyone enjoyed what they listened to and you should go to itunes and rate our podcast give us five stars leave us some feedback 
go on Twitter and follow us at Jersey underscore matters. And then so follow us. We're picking fights with New Jersey 101.5. We win every fight we pick. And, every- uh, <laughs> and also check out our Instagram. Jersey um, Matters podcast on Instagram. Great. for uh, Casey posts a lot of great uh, uh, like trivia and some other stuff about New Jersey. Fun it's information great. about New Jersey. So th- yeah. Thank you for joining us this week. Signing off, I'm Mike Perino. And I'm Casey McLean. Goodbye.